Imagine that your parents were going to tell you some very, very bad news about six bad news that you would hear all in one day. What if they told you, sons, daughters, they got your siblings together and said, guys, both of us are going to die at the hands of the government soon. Then after they tell you that, they tell you, and this is how we're going to die, and this is what the burial process is going to look like. After they tell you that they're going to be betrayed and given to the government and they're going to be buried, they tell you, by the way, the way that the government is going to arrest me is actually one of your brothers and sisters. They're going to turn me in. And then they tell you, by the way, when I am in jail, waiting for my sentencing, because your brother or sister betrayed me, all the rest of your brothers and sisters are going to be scattered. Lastly, what if I told, what if your parents told you that as I'm being sentenced, your parent being sentenced, they, the parent tells you, you, my children, will deny me in public. Then towards the end of the night, they tell, your parents tell you, it's a lot, it's a lot to carry, it's a lot to sing, it's a lot to, to deal with, I'm full of grief. Can you stay awake and pray? Pray with me and pray for yourself that when this time does come, you will be strength, you will have the strength to endure it. What would you do? See, all the news that I just mentioned to you was actually given to the disciples on Thursday, the week of the Passover, throughout the entire day. Let's review them quickly. You see, Matthew chapter 26, verse 2, Jesus says, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. Matthew 26, verse 12, For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Matthew 26, verse 21, As they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Matthew 26, 24, the Son of Man is to go, to go here means to be killed, just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then we see Matthew 26, verses 31 to 32, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Finally, Matthew 26, verse 34, Jesus says to Peter, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. These, and this is the news that they heard. With this news in your mind, I want us to read today's passage, and I want you to have this context, because if you do, it's going to make more sense as we read. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46 is today's lesson. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, 
sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men cannot keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Currently studying the events that have been taking place on Thursday, the week of the Passover. We went over the last Passover preparations, along with the conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. We saw on Sunday how Jesus, he institutes the Lord's Supper as a sacrament to the church that we will follow even to today. We even saw how Peter's denial was predicted. Today we find ourselves on the holy grounds of the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we look at this scene, we're going to, we're going to discuss three truths of Jesus at Gethsemane. Three truths of Jesus at Gethsemane. The theme, for those that are taking notes, and what we want to learn from today's lesson is... Believers need to follow Jesus' example in revering God and depending on Him for strength through prayer. Believers need to follow Jesus' example in revering or revering God and depending on Him for strength through prayer. So let's start with the first truth about Jesus that occurs on these grounds of Gethsemane. Truth number one, we're going to look at Jesus' sorrow. Jesus' sorrow. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Then, meaning soon after Peter and the disciples say to Jesus, We will never deny you. He goes, he takes the disciples from that, and he goes to the garden of Gethsemane. The word place here, that Jesus came with them to a place, the Greek word for place here is a cultivated field, especially where grain is grown. So we know two things about this place. We know that it is a garden, and we know that Jesus frequently visited here. How do we know that? Well, in the, book of, in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 1 through 2, it tells us, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. 
Now Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So this is Gethsemane. He's been there before. What do we see about Jesus in this verse? Well, that Jesus had a perfect prayer life. We know that Jesus prays throughout all the gospel accounts. You might ask, well, if Jesus is God, why then did he have to pray to the Father if they're one? Well, we know that there are these three distinct persons. The Trinity, the Godhead, is three distinct persons that's one essence in nature. So Jesus, the Son of God, frequently prayed to God the Father. Now, as Nate was saying, if Jesus being God constantly prayed to the Father, what do you think that implies to us? That we pray once in a while? That we pray all the time when we can and when we remember? Yes, that's the implication. Because if the Son of God prayed, being God, gave us that example, had that communion with the Father, that is something that we need to emulate. So after Jesus tells all his disciples this, he takes them, he tells them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Then... The next verse says, in verse 37, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Anybody want to take a guess on the names of who are the sons of Zebedee? James and John. James and John. Matthew 4, 21 states, Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father. Mending their nets, and he called them. This is when he calls them to be his disciples. So he told the he tells the other the majority of the disciples stay here. Then he takes his inner circle of disciples, Peter, John, and James, and he takes them to the side. And this is not something new. We know that these we call them the big three, I guess. They were Jesus' most intimate disciples, right? They were there at that mount when on the mountain when Jesus transfigures, right? Remember that that. Also, it was a mother that approached Jesus and told him, Hey, when you're in your kingdom, can, can my son sit on your right and my other son sit on your left side? They were very close. And there's a reason why he chose these three. And when he chose these three to go somewhere else, he began to be grieved and distressed. The Greek word for grieved is overwhelmingly anxious. I ask you, did Jesus sin when he became distressed? No, he didn't. Remember, to be tempted is not the same thing as to sin. To fall into temptation and worry about what's to come or what not to come and not trust in God, that is when you sin. But the actual temptation of being anxious is not sin in itself. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He was tempted to sin in what way? To not trust the Father, like many of us do in our humanity. But as we will read, Jesus knew that the Father was perfect in all his ways, and he trusted his plan. Why did he become overwhelmingly distressed and anxious? He knew his time was near. He knew since the beginning of time that this day would come. He lived on earth 
30 years when he began his ministry, three years of ministry, he's 33. He's, he's, he's known this day is going to come. But today is a day where it starts, where he would be sacrificed as the perfect lamb. But why was he distressed? He was distressed because he didn't want to be forsaken. He did not want to be abandoned by his heavenly Father. He knew he would become sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why he was grieving. He did not want his father to abandon him. He did not want his father to forsake him. It is important to note that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. He needed to be 100% God to bear the sin of the entire world. He also needed to be 100% human to be the perfect sacrifice to be offered. In his humanity, he experienced this grief and distress. Hebrews 4, chapter 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So in his humanity, he was grieving and he was distressing. He was sympathizing with us because of the great high priest that he is. So what did he say to his inner circle? To Peter, James, and John. Verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. This is where we see our first truth. Jesus' sorrow. The Messiah expressed to his closest disciples that his soul, his mind, was deeply grieved. The Greek for deeply grieved is crushed by grief, understood as if surrounded by sadness. So he was grieved to the point of what? Death. I can't think of any circumstances that would grieve me and my soul to the point of death. The Bible said that the extent of his grief made him also sweat blood. Luke chapter 22 verse 44 says, And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became blood like drops of blood falling upon the ground. I read some of the commentators, some of the soldiers during the Roman times would, would experience this right before battle. Of They're anxious, ready to go to war, maybe going to die. They would, they would experience this, the sweat. This condition is called hemophidrosis. At WebMD states, sometimes it seems to be caused by extreme distress or fear, such as facing death, torture, or severe ongoing abuse. Again, our Savior this night was experiencing this. Why? The fear of being forsaken by his Father. Let me ask you a question, and this is to all of us. Do, do we fear God in this way? Do we think of God like this? You remember when I tell you guys, don't, don't want to go to heaven because you don't want to go to hell. Don't think that way. Think, I don't want to go to hell because I don't want to be separated one second from the Father. And that's why Jesus was distressed. And that's what we 
as Christians, who are, who, if you call yourself a Christian, that should be on your mind to revere God in such a way that that is the most important thing that you could ever want or imagine, to be in the presence of God forever. Because one second without his presence is too much without being around. Our Savior experienced this before his death, and he shared it, shared it with his disciples. So what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Jesus tells them, keep watch, which means stay awake. Keep watch, stay awake. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Why did he bring Peter, John, and James? Why did he tell them to stay awake? Remember our intro? Remember the intro? Did they have a reason to be kind of distraught and worried? Did they have something coming for them? The next couple of days, was it going to be peaceful for them? No, it wasn't. Jesus knew that they would face great adversity. And he wanted them to be ready to be strengthened by the Father through prayer. Here is where... We see Christ and His compassion, knowing that He was going to be forsaken by the Father, still takes time to show His love to His disciples and tells them, come with me, watch, stay awake, pray. Pray with me because what is coming, it's a lot. And you need His strength. He wanted to set the perfect example for Him, for the disciples, and for us to follow. He wanted to show them that the example is when you're in difficult circumstances, no matter what they are, you need to pray. You need to pray like you've never prayed before. Because He will give you the strength during difficult trials. He was teaching them, depend fully on God. Think about it. We read this, and if God the Son prayed to the Father to get the strength that He needed, how much more do all of us need to emulate to follow that example of Christ. See, these verses now conclude the first truth of Jesus' sorrow. And now we'll move on to the second truth of Jesus at Gethsemane, which is Jesus' supplication. Verse 39. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me Yet, not as I will, but as you will. This moving a little beyond them, some commentators wrote it was from 30 to 40 yards away. So, disciples, main disciples, then the three disciples, then Jesus a little bit more far away. He goes out, and he pours his heart out to God the Father. He was probably obeying what Psalm 52, verse 8 encourages us to do. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. Think about that for a second. God is a refuge for us. We have a personal God who is approachable. We have a personal God who wants to hear the most intimate stories that you have, the most intimate requests that you have. What you're going through, He wants to know. He wants you to pour out your hearts before Him. You are that important for Him. Because He bought you with the blood of His only Son. 
And guess what? It's not because you're a good person or because you're so great. It's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. See, Mark captured this moment in a similar way. Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 36. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. But what you will. He addresses God as Abba, my father. A term referred to daddy, papa. To show the readers who's reading this and to us the intimacy that the son of man had with God the father. Only the son of man at that moment could talk to God that way. We have the privilege of talking to God. We can, we have, we can approach the throne of glory boldly in Christ's righteousness. We can have that. The Jews didn't. They never had that privilege. You and me have that privilege 24-7. See, in his humanity, what did he pray? He was praying for this cup to pass. What is this cup which symbolizes, symbolizes his wrath? Isaiah 51-17, rouse yourself, rouse yourself. Arise, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the cup of of wrath is usually, this cup is usually referred to as God's wrath throughout the Old Testament. So this is what Jesus is praying. Now, I ask you a question. Is this something normal to pray? There are moments in life that are extremely difficult. There are moments of life that are extremely happy. It's only saying to want to live a happy life. There's nothing wrong with that. And when difficult times come, it's, it's normal to say, can you please, can I please not live this right now? But did Jesus leave it there? Did he just tell God, pass this cup from me? You know he was able to, you know he was powerful enough to do so, but he said, but not my will be done, but yours be done. Again, you think that Jesus was worried about the pain and humiliation he was going to experience. He wasn't worried about any of that. John chapter 10, verse 17 through 18 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from the Father. What was it that he was trying to pass? The cup. He did, want, he did not want to be forsaken. He did, want, he did not want to be abandoned by his father. He knew he could handle the physical pain, but the thought of the father's abandonment was devastating. MacArthur states, Jesus was here asking if avoiding the cross were possible within the father's redemptive plan and purpose. He wasn't saying, I don't want to be the redeemer God. He was like, I want to be the redeemer, but can you not forsake me, was his prayer. But what did Abba Father do? Did Abba Father leave him alone? Did Abba Father not answer his prayer? Luke 22, verse 43 says, Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. How long did Jesus pray? We'll see in the next verse. About for an hour. He goes and checks on his disciples after an hour. In verse 40, he says, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, 
So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? You would think the disciples would be on the alert. You would think, after all the news that I just heard, I would be keeping watch, I would be praying. I mean, they've seen Jesus being, you know, with grief. They saw him when he cried for his friend Lazarus. They saw him when he cried over Jerusalem for their unbelief. But they've never seen him to this point. They were there with him. These three were there with him. And they, you would think that and the news that they just heard would motivate them to keep watching, to pray, to be strengthened by God. But instead they do what? They fall asleep. Especially Peter. Right? It's like Jesus was telling him, Peter, if you, if you prayed, if you stayed awake, you probably would have not denied me. But he didn't. Why? Well, two things could have happened. MacArthur states, they could have been sleeping out of self-confidence. Eh, Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. I know you told us it's not going to happen. Unbelief, and they fell asleep. Or, they could have been sleeping to escape the sorrow of the news of their Savior being handed over to the hand of sinners. As Luke chapter 22, verse 45 states, when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. Regardless, they had enough horrible news to keep them awake and, have, and, and to not sleep. I encourage us to think, don't think for one second that you can live the Christian life without prayer or reading God's Word. Our strength can only come from Him. Don't be like the disciples, filled with self-confidence. But be humble and depend on the Lord through prayer and His Word to honor God with your life and to be strengthened by Him through the good times and the bad. So what does He tell them when He wakes them up? Verse 41. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He tells them to stay awake, praying, so they won't be tempted when the difficult trials are going to come. What difficult trials? Jesus is going to appear before the Sanhedrin. Then he's going to be for, appear before Pilate. They're going to see him being crucified. They're going to see him on the road. They're going to see him being beaten, being uh, scourged. They're going to see him being whipped. They're going to see him all these things. And he's telling them, be ready for when that comes to not doubt the Lord and to not doubt his plan. Be ready. Pray. Be watchful. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. D.A. Carson states, Jesus has given them the benefit of doubt by saying to them, you may have good intentions, but good intentions need to be followed by prayer and reading his word. Why? Because you have flesh. Romans seven nineteen. This is not, not normal to, to our Christian life. What does Paul write? For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. Verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, which is God's law, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Good intentions are good, but they need to be followed through prayer and reading the word. Because our flesh is weak. And we need to be strengthened. Not in our strength but through God. To have victory over sin, 
We need to walk in the Spirit, reading God's Word and praying just like Jesus was praying for strength. See, how long does Jesus pray for? An hour. I'm not saying this is a formula to follow. But what I'm saying is when we do pray, you pray with quality. Think of our priorities. We talk to friends. We talk to our parents. We love to text message with each other. We love to talk to everyone except the one who controls our soul. Please, and for one second, don't think that your prayer time is when you pray before eating. No. And that's not us believers. That If you're a believer in Christ, that cannot be your prayer time. You approach God with reverence. You approach God with what He deserves. Not in a legalistic way to feel that He's going to love you more or to check off a list or because my parents make me to pray. No. If you're a believer in Christ, that should not be the motivation. You should pray before because He's God. He is God. He deserves the honor. He deserves the glory. He deserves the praise. He deserves our allegiance. He deserves that we bow our knee. He deserves it. And we approach His throne. Thanking Him that we can approach His throne. Don't ever think of prayer as a burden. Sometimes we do. Oh, that's a prayer. Check off the list. So I, I can be, you know, I can say it's a, it's a small group, you know, on, on apps. Or when the leader tells me, have you been praying? Have you been reading the Word? Yes, yes. Let's change that. Because we have a God who loves us. He cares. He deserves it. Not because our parents make us. Because he's God. And we can do it. Because if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Pray to him like a sovereign that he is. So after Jesus encourages his disciples, he practiced what he teaches. Verse 42. He went away again a second time and prayed saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. He's praying. He's pouring out his heart to the Lord. Is he telling him, take my circumstances away? Yes. But is he also saying, may your will be done? Yes. May your will be done. This is what the battle looks like. This is what the battle of sin and temptation looks like. It's not a one-time prayer and the battle is gone. Sometimes when you pray, it could be days, weeks, or even years that you have peace. It could be seconds. Or it could be months. Remember when Jesus was tempted? Right? He prayed in, in the desert. He was praying. The devil comes to tempt him. Tempt him. He responds with the word. Again, he's tempted. He responds with the word. Again, he's tempted. If the Son of Man, if God, the Son of God, he constantly was being tempted, what do you think is going to happen to us? That is why it's so important to memorize Scripture. That is why it's important to, mem- to read the Word. That's why it's so important to pray. So when the battle comes, we're ready to fight it. Because it's going to come. Life is full of trials and tribulations. In times of peace, like Brandon said, Train your spiritual muscles. Train it so when the battle, the time of tribulation comes, you're ready for it. Because what happens? The majority of times we get lenient. And when the battle comes, 
We have to start training while we're fighting instead of already being trained and ready to go. What does this look like? Let's say you're being, you're, you're struggling through anxiety because a family member is sick. And your thoughts are, what happens when they die? If they die, then I'm going to have a mom or dad. And if I'm not have a mom or dad, what is that going to look like? And then all these start, things start to appear in your mind. See, your mind is going to be bombarded constantly, constantly. So what do you do? Well, you use the Word of God. You put off the worry. You renew your mind with God's truth. You pick a verse. Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Lord, right now I'm having the thought of my parents dying and I'm having a, a, a feeling right here of what am I going to do, Lord? But I trust in your word because your word says that you're the rock. Your word says that you're perfect. Your word says that all your ways are just, including my parents' sickness right now. You, your word says you're a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Help me trust in your faithfulness. Help me trust in your righteousness. Help me trust. And you have to pray this until, guess what? You have a moment of peace. And once the moment of peace... You praise God, you move on with your life. But guess what? A minute later, it's going to come back again. And what are you going to have to do again? Pray through Scripture. Meditate on it. Pray it again and again and again. And sometimes it can be months, weeks, years of battling. God is the one who decides gives you the tools that you need to fight this battle. It, it happened to God. God is give, Jesus is giving us this example, guys. He's going to suffer the abandonment of his father, and he's praying again and again and again. The Son of God, he's doing this. What do you think is going to happen to us? And it's not this, Lord, thank you for my food, Amen. He's there. He's, he's pouring out his heart. It's, it's a different prayer. God doesn't promise that we're not going to have tribulations. But God does promise peace during the tribulation. And whatever tribulation you're going through, whatever it is, through personal, through external, mind battles, those are the worst, coveting what you don't have, complaining what you would like, You have to have those two verses to fight this war. The sword of the Spirit, the GBS. So what does Jesus do next? Again, he came, verse 43, and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. Jesus comes a second time, hoping that his encouragement the first time would keep the disciples awake, to only find them sleeping again. Like, look at Christ again in his compassion. He's praying. He's being strengthened by God. He's, he's in, 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 with God in, in, in moments of peace while he's praying. And he said, hold on a second. My disciples are also going to experience this difficult time. Let me go see how they're doing. Selfless love. Not only to the point of death for our salvation, but even to the smallest things of this, he was paying attention to his disciples. Verse 44, and he left them again. I went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. 
You see, Jesus go a third time to pray to his father regarding the same previous request. Again, it's the war has a series of battles, and you're going to be fighting the battle, fighting the battle, just like Jesus fought his battles. But something happens. Something happens while Jesus is praying to Father, to God the Father, throughout the night. Which leads us to the third truth and the final truth of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus' strength. Verse 45. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. For the third shameful time, the disciples were caught sleeping. And the thing that Jesus was warning them about was happening right there and then. He's basically saying, guys, too late. No time to pray. It's happening. We're here. This is the moment. Look at verse 46. He tells them, get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Jesus was about to be given to the Sanhedrin, to the authorities. He probably saw them coming with their clubs and their torches. He probably saw Judas in the, in, in far away. Why? Well, verse 47 tells us, While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs. He came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Jesus tells him, Get up. The moment is now. Notice the demeanor in his tone. He went from grieving to being bold. To do the will of his Father. How? Because he, re- he received strength from the Father to endure what he's about to endure the next couple of days. He was ready to be the Passover lamb. Why? Because he was strengthened through prayer. Because he went and he poured out his heart to his Father. This is the strength that we as believers need. We cannot live the Christian life in our strength. We can only live it in his. Look what Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 says. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from refuge, from death. And he was heard because of his offering. He was heard. God heard him. And God gave it to him. This is holy ground, guys. Gethsemane is... This is the beginning of our Savior, of our perfect God-man being given into custody to die for our sins. So how can we apply what we just read to our lives? First, do you revere God the Father like Jesus did? Do you revere God the Father like Jesus did? What do I mean by this? I mean, for Jesus... The most important thing ever was to be in the presence of his Father forever. Can you say the same thing? We will be, we will die all one day, and we will come before the judgment of our God. And he will judge us. And what do you think the verdict is going to be? Guilty. Because we sin. We're liars, we're thieves, we're murderers. We're selfish. We love ourselves more than God. We don't obey His commandments. Guilty as charged. But the good news is that Christ, the perfect God-man that we just talked about, He lived the perfect life you and me can never live. Perfect. He was perfect. 
perfect sacrifice. He died on the cross. And he rose on the third day because God accepted his perfect sacrifice. He lived the life that you and me cannot live. And the Bible says that if you repent from your sins and put your faith only in Christ for salvation, you will have eternal life. What does this mean? It means to make Jesus Lord. It means to be like Jesus when it comes to thinking of God the Father. God the Father is everything. It means I want to make Jesus my Lord because He deserves it, not because, oh, I don't want to go to hell. No, you want to go to heaven because you want to be with Jesus. You want to be with God the Father who gave this salvation to you without you deserving it. That is how we revere God. Number two, do you trust in your strength to live the Christian life or do you rely on God's strength? Are you a prayer warrior when you're going through difficult times? Are you a prayer warrior when you're going through good times? This has to characterize your life. It has to characterize all of our lives. And I pray that the Holy Spirit can convict us with this. That we can be praying more. Because God deserves it. Because it's the commandment that He tells us to do. If you are a believer in Christ, ask the Holy Spirit that indwells in you to give you the strength to do so. I listed a couple of ways to develop a stronger prayer life. You know what the best thing to do when you don't feel like praying is? Pray. Pray. When you don't feel like it, pray. Renew your mind with the truth. God is sovereign. He is God. He deserves it. He is holy. How dare I think that I am lazy, that I don't want to. Renew your mind with that. He deserves it. Acts, adoration, praise Him for who He is, all His attributes, confession, confess your sin before Him. He will forgive your sins if you do. Thanksgiving, thank Him for everything that you have. Just by Thanksgiving alone, you can spend hours if you wanted to. And supplication. Bring requests made known to Him. He wants to hear them. Sometimes, for you writers out there, write out your prayers. You can do that. Write out your prayers to God. Maybe you enjoy that more. Do it. Pray. Pray in the morning. Pray in the mid-afternoon. Pray in the evening. Just don't pray when you eat. Just don't pray when your parents tell you, let's pray. If you are a believer in Christ, if you claim Christ, you should be praying on your own. Because the same Holy Spirit that indwells in the adult in this room also indwells in you. And it dwells in the young children that are saved at eight, nine, four, six. Prayer, pray on your own. Do it with your family, great. But on your own, have that habit. And most importantly, have reverence when you pray to the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we just ask you that we can be encouraged and convicted to pray to you, God. To pour our hearts out to you, O Lord, because you deserve it. Help us have reverence to the King of Kings, Lord, Lord. To the Creator of the universe. Help us have reverence to pray to you, God. 
Allow us to love to pray to you, Lord. Thank you for prayer. Holy Spirit, do what only you can to convict us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness through your holy word. That our lives may be characterized by prayer. Please, God, we beseech you, Lord, we beg of you, Lord, help us to pray to you like you deserve it, Lord, because we cannot even do that in our own strength. We need to rely fully on you for all of our Christian life, including prayer. I pray for anybody here, Lord, who's having difficult times, who's going through difficult trials. I pray that you can comfort them. I pray that they can see your goodness and your kindness and your holiness. I pray that they can pray to you, that they can read your word and be comforted by it, Lord. Thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.